Welcome to our latest series of the Reach Next Generation podcast. I'm Grace Jeffries and I'm thinking about my future. To help me with this, I'm speaking with successful women to get an understanding of the challenges they faced throughout their careers, how they overcame them and what tips they have for girls of my age. Today, my guest is Donna Jones, who is the Police and Crime Commissioner for Hampshire and the Isle of Wight. Donna is also a magistrate. And when she was appointed by the Lord Chancellor in October 2005, she was the youngest member of the judiciary in England and Wales. Donna was also the first woman to be CEO at Portsmouth City Council. Thanks for joining me today, Donna. Can we start by you telling us all how your career took you to the role you have today? And can you also give us a little bit of a flavour of what a police and crime commissioner does day to day? Yes, thank you so much for having me on, Grace. It's really good to be talking to so many young women across the whole of the UK on your podcast and well done for everything that you're achieving and being an inspiration to others. So in a nutshell, my professional background was in banking. Um, I went to, after I left school, I I went to college and did my A-levels. I ended up working for a FTSE 50 bank uh, and I'm, that's where I met my husband. Um, I really enjoyed that and I did, I worked in banking until I had a career break when I had my children in my late 20s. And I I had about three or four years off when I had my kids. During that time is when I was then appointed by the Lord Chancellor um, as a magistrate, as you've just mentioned, and I served on the South East Hampshire bench for 16 years, and I was a bench chair for 13 of those 16 years. So I didn't do family or, or youth crime, I did adult criminal, and I really, really enjoyed that. And I served as a magistrate until May last year, when I was elected as Police and Crime Commissioner, representing two million people across Hampshire and the Isle of Wight. Now, in that in-between time after I sort of had the kids and wanted to go back to work I got involved in politics in 2008 I was elected onto Portsmouth City Council which is a, a city unitary authority uh, in the southeast of England and in 2014 I was very lucky to become leader of the city council uh, until 2018 so I served as the first woman to be leader of the city council and at the time that I became leader of the council I was the only woman in the country leading a conservative uh, city uh, nationally so it was quite a, a big thing for Conservative Party, my political party at that time. Um, so served on, on the council. Uh, then I ran for Parliament in um, December 2019. So just over two, two and a half years ago, uh, I was unsuccessful. I stood against a Labour MP who won his seat, he held his seat. Uh, and then I was very fortunate to be selected as the Police and Crime Commissioner candidate, which has brought me to where I am today. Um, so I've now been in this post for 16 months. So it's combining my experience in politics and also my passion for for politics as well and helping people um, and also having worked as, as you know uh, having volunteered as a magistrate for all those years and understanding adult criminal law so as a police and crime commissioner my job is to hold the chief constable to account to hire and fire the chief constable it's to make sure that the force the police force that I'm presiding over is delivering what it needs and it's also to set the policing priorities that the chief constable must deliver for the two million people that I represent now in addition to that I'm also the national lead for victims um, across England and Wales, which includes violence against women and girls, and also serious and organised crime. So working with the Home Office, the National Crime Agency and other specialist um, criminal justice partners in the country uh, to really monitor what's going on with organised crime gangs. So a very busy role, real interface working with the Home Office and the Ministry of Justice and also my own police force, and ultimately being a voice for the people that I represent. Wow, you definitely seem like you've got plenty of jobs to keep you busy. I don't know how you handle it all the time. It is a busy role. <laughs> <laughs> 
But I have to ask, when you were at school, did you know what you wanted to do or be or did it happen later in life? Yeah, so when I was at school, when I was a young, when I was at primary school, I wanted to be a train driver. Uh, but then as I got older, I loved acting. I did um, I did do an A level in drama. I did GCSE drama. I was offered a place at drama school. I really really loved acting. I did lots and lots of amateur dramatics when I was a teenager, and I also played quite a lot of hockey, played quite a lot of sport um, and tennis. Um, so yeah, I was kind of thinking it would be something to do with presenting journalism, perhaps something in that kind of communicating with people type job because that's what I love doing. Um, but then when I uh, did my A-levels, I took a gap year. I was going to go to Cardiff University. I took a gap year. Um, and in that gap year, I got I did a couple of like, you know, jobs, went traveling around Europe with one of my really good mates for uh, veterans from school for a couple of months, came back. And then a role came up working for uh, the bank that I worked for. And within about three or four months, they offered me to go on to what was called the Accelerated Development Program, which is very much similar to a graduate training program for people when they've come out of university. And I remember talking to my dad about it and him saying to me, look, you know, you're going to go to university for three years. Uh, when you come out, um, you're probably going to be applying for a job just like this one. Why don't you just stick with the job? Um, and neither of my parents have gone to university. I do sometimes really wish I'd gone because I did miss out on that university experience. But um, I wouldn't be where I am today. I did all of my professional investment banking qualifications. I, I, I've got qualifications in, in pension management, uh, you know, and I was a trustee of one of the uh, largest local government pension schemes in the country for four or five years worth over seven billion pounds so you know I, I it has served me well and I think the the skill set that I've got from working um, for a FTSE 50 bank and for having all of my professional investment qualifications and understanding economics like I now do anyone who's interested in politics understanding economics is key because you cannot run a country you can make you can do very little unless you've got the money to back it up and support it so it, it stood me in good stead with politics yeah. Now, there's a lot of scrutiny around the police at the moment, especially with all of the tragic street crime. Do you think that enough women and people from maybe the black and Asian communities are joining the police force? And what do you think can be done to make a career as a police officer more interesting or attractive? And that's an excellent question. And no, I don't think we have enough people joining um, police forces across the country from Asian, black and from other ethnic minority groups. Um, you know, predominantly our population in Britain is still is still British white. Um, and actually, we're not as diverse as many other countries, for example, such as America. Uh, we do therefore struggle to recruit um, officers, police officers and police staff. So the people that are supporting police officers behind the scenes, we do struggle to get um, a, a spread of different ethnicities, religions um, into British policing. And actually, it is now causing quite quite a problem. Um, we do have, uh, in, in certain communities, um, you do have particularly young black boys who are, who, who are more subjected to becoming criminalised by gangs because of the part of the country where they live. Um, and unfortunately, stop and search, when you look at stop and search numbers, you know, young black children, but particularly young black boys are more likely to be stopped and searched in the majority parts of the country than than others than than perhaps their white counterparts um, and actually we do need this is something that we as police commissioners are something the home office are really looking at very closely um, and actually inspiration creates or aspiration creates inspiration or the other way around so actually for me as a civic leader as somebody who is a political community leader where I live I think it's incumbent upon me to do everything that I can to get some 
really good, strong, high quality black, Asian and other minority leaders in policing. We're doing quite well in Hampshire. We've got some really good, um, you know, Asian, particularly uh, police leaders who are uh, superintendent, chief superintendent ranks. Um, and hopefully we'll have a, a, an ACC, uh, an assistant chief constable who will be um, at that rank as we have done in the past. So more needs to be done. Definitely one of the issues that is causing problems across the country. If, if young black lads grow up seeing that there are black chief constables and, and key people leading the National Crime Agency and, and in Parliament, key MPs, I think these things really, really will help to make them realise that, you know, they should be reaching for the stars as, as hopefully we all will be as well. Of course. Now, there's a lot of talk about peer quality quite generally, but how well do you think women are catching up with men's salaries and getting those top jobs, especially maybe in the police force? Yeah, so actually, um, I think policing is probably slightly ahead of the game on other um, industries, other, other professions across the country. In mm. terms of the UK as a whole and about the pay gender gap, we've come such a long way, particularly over the last 15 years, if you look back yeah. at the ONS records and other things. But we've still got a long way to come. Um, but in policing, well, let's just take Hampshire, for example. So the chief constable, she's a woman. The PCC, I'm a woman. We've also got four deputy chief constables, two of whom are women, ACC Catherine Akehurst and also ACC Lucy Hudson, assistant chief constable Lucy Hudson. So we're, we've got complete parity in terms of Hampshire constabulary. My force, our deputy chief constable is a man, so he counteracts the chief constable is a woman. So actually, we've got really good parity here. That's not the same in all forces and in some forces it's, it's more women-led it's more men-led but on the whole I don't think policing is doing too bad in terms of giving women uh, equal rights where I think we've still got quite a long way to go as a country is in the armed forces we've still never had um, a, a vice admiral who's a woman I think we've now got a rear admiral who's a woman um, but actually wouldn't it be amazing to have the admiral of the fleet the first sea lord as a woman and the same for the head of the British army so and, and the RAF of course as well um, so we are getting there um, you know some of the these things take years uh, to change and for women to work up through the ranks, particularly in the military. Um, but for me, um, I think in policing, we, we have a way to go still. But I certainly think in my own force, we're probably one of the, the best examples of where we have got equality. Um, and in terms of pay across the country, more definitely does still need to be done. We do need to have more women as chief executives of some of our, our biggest players, British Steel, you know, BAE Systems, um, you know, British Airways, some of these fantastic companies. Uh, Companies that really put Britain on the map. We need to have more of those having women leading them because, again, it creates inspiration for women growing up, not just in Britain, but around 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 the globe. Of course, I will agree with you. We have come quite a far, um, quite a far way, but we also have quite a far way to go. But hopefully, we have um, steady progress. I agree. Now, talking about women equality and progression, the world is changing so much and quite quickly. What do you think work for women may look like, say, in 10 years time? Or what do you maybe hope it may look like? Well, you know, there's been quite a programme um, through the British government to really inspire girls to study those STEM subjects, you know, those science, technical, mm. engineering, electronics, those kind of things, maths particularly. And I think we're going to see over the next 10 years more uh, women, girls, 
graduating from university with excellent degrees from some of the best universities in the world that we have here in Britain um, in you know physics chemistry uh, you know some of those mathematical degrees that are mathematical engineering for example where we will then have scientists and um, people who will be designing engineers who will be designing some of the best it may be you know new jumbo jets new components of Rolls-Royce engines who will be women and that for me will mean that you know that that will be a proud day for this country and we've got, you know, a decent percentage of women in those really key roles, because actually we know that women, given the right encouragement, support, um, are able to achieve everything that men can and more. And actually, when I think back to my 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 uh, predecessors, your predecessors, you know, your grandparents, your great grandparents, um, actually, you know, our grandmothers were not offered the opportunities that we're offered today. And I'm much older than you. I'm 45. Um, so, you know, I've had I've seen some of this in my life and I've seen a big change. I hope that for you and your generation, you know, by the time that you're at university, it will just be part of the course that half of the girls on engineering degrees, on, on chemical engineering degrees, on physics degrees will be, uh, will be, you know, girls as well as boys, and it won't be so male dominated. That's the same for architecture. There are still so many professions where they're seen as being a bit more of a, a boy type job. Um, I really, I really can't wait for us to have um, equality in, in those areas. And the best way to do that is for you know schools and colleges um, and universities to keep marketing and making these jobs attractive and appealing to to girls as they're growing up so that they have that as their inspiration of, of what they want to do as their chosen chosen career of course now throughout your career have you had perhaps any mentors or have there been anyone that you particularly admire Gosh, people I admire, um, probably politically and personally. So I would say um, probably somebody that politically is probably a couple of people I politically um, admire. Um, one of them is is William Wilberforce. He was a, a member of parliament from many, many years ago, uh, two, over 200 years ago. Um, and he brought about the abolition of the Slavery Act. And for me, I think it's probably uh, in any in modern day democracy, um, you know, one of the pieces of legislation that we as British citizens should be proud of is the fact that we are not legally able to own another human being and we can't trade human beings as if they're commodities and so that um, abolition of the slavery act that was brought in by William Wilberforce uh, for me is one of the most uh, most commendable and pieces of legislation the British Parliament has ever has ever brought about in fact I've got a I've got a, a big painting of, of, of William Wilberforce in my office it's not hanging at the moment it's in a box because I'm about to move office but it's 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 something that I've bought and I and I treasure um modern day I suppose Barack Obama I think it was quite a shift um, when Barack Obama became the first black president um, of, of America I think that was that was quite a seismic change America has got so many complicated social issues but actually having a black president I think has taken them forward it would be great if eventually they get they get a woman president I mean you know it, we thought we were almost going to get there uh, with Hillary Clinton um, back sort of six years ago didn't quite get there um, uh, and, I, and I don't have that I'm not advocating Hillary versus Trump I'm not going to get involved in that one but, but you know it would be great for one of the biggest you know well, superpowers in the world to have uh, have a female president when you look at 
Britain, you know, just um, this week we've had Liz Truss, uh, you know, entering number 10 as Britain's third uh, female prime minister. Um, yeah. And actually, that's quite sad that she's only our third female prime minister and we're in 2022. America still haven't had a single woman yet. So for me, that's going to be quite a seismic change when it comes. The same as Russia, when Russia gets a female leader, uh, you know, China, will China ever get there? And, and I can't believe, still can't quite believe that in 2022, we're having these conversations about when and if there will ever be women running some of the, the superpowers in the world. In fact, I remember back in 2014 when I became the leader of Portsmouth City Council and I remember on the day uh, it was all very sort of uh, in the balance as to whether or not um, I was going to get the support from an opposition political party to put me in as leader of the council and remove a very long-seated 10-year uh, uh, former Lib Dem administration and um, and then the BBC were, were waiting outside after the meeting and uh, and, and the BBC political correspondent um, asked if he could interview me and he interviewed me in the council chamber and I said how come you sent a film crew down and he was like you're the first woman to be leader of the city council that's a really it's a really big thing it's news and I couldn't believe it I thought crikey it's 2014 and we are it's news newsworthy to say that a woman has become leader of a council you know but that's that's the world we live in and old habits do die hard but we but we are getting there we've all got to keep keep plowing plowing ahead on this one so I have to ask, do you still perhaps have any personal, professional ambitions that you wish to fulfil in the future? Um, I think one of the reasons that I that I've left um, working in the private sector and I've gone into the public sector, so working in in political life now in, in through local government from the majority of that, and now more recently through policing, um, is because I want to help others, and that's often what drives people to want to work in the public sector, be they a social worker, a civil engineer, uh, you know, a planning officer, whatever they might be. Very often, people wanting to give something back is why they work in the public sector. Now, for me, when I decided to to run for police and crime commissioner having been a magistrate for so many years and having seen the causes of crime and reading many pre-sentence reports sending lots of people to prison reviewing reviewing breaches if they breached their community order or any kind of um sentence if they were out on license from prison um, I realised that the, these things are cyclical. So very often the people that are the most criminalised that live in our societies, those people that are causing the most harm and exploitation to others, they are people who have had really quite sad childhoods themselves. And they've been through a number of what we call ACEs, adverse childhood experiences. Um, and because it wasn't gripped properly in their childhood, the, 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 what that's done to their mental health, what it's done to their processing of what's right and wrong, how they deal with anger and anger management often can lead to them being violent people or dishonest people or committing offences of a sexual nature, which, of course, they shouldn't be doing. But that but quite often it's triggered by abuse to themselves as children. So for me, as a police and crime commissioner, one of the things in answer to your question that I really want to achieve that I still haven't done yet because I'm on I'm on a journey, I'm on a path is to really try and break the cycle of making sure that we have better support for what we call troubled families, for supporting people that are living in homes of domestic violence or uh, where mums maybe got depression or there are some money problems, whatever that might be, helping support that family so that children are not growing up to become angry, 
frustrated, misunderstood adults who may end up slipping into crime because that's the only option that they see available to them at that time. There are always choices. There are choices around smoking, around carrying knives, around taking drugs. And actually, for me as a police and crime commissioner, as a parent, I've got two teenagers myself. I've got one son who is 19 and about to go off to university after a gap year, and another son who is 17 in the middle of his, uh, just now this week, started in his um, uh, second year of his college course. So for me, being a mum of teenagers, and particularly boys who are more susceptible to knife injuries, robberies, those kind of things, I want to make all of our communities safer across England and Wales. I want to make sure that we are really doing everything we can to stop the flow of drugs into Britain. We are losing the war on drugs at the moment. It is a vastly complicated uh, issue that, that is about addiction, and it's also about societal breakdown in many cases. So Trying to prevent the exploitation and criminalisation of children, particularly teenagers, is key for me. There's still a lot more work to be done, but by working with the government in the way that I am, with the Home Office, with the Ministry of Justice, the two really key departments that I work with is key. And of course, we've just had the announcement of the new um, Home Secretary, uh, Suella Braverman, who is an MP from my patch. She's a friend of mine. I live about a mile from her constituency. And also um, uh, with the new um, uh, Lord Chancellor, Brandon Lewis, who is somebody who I know, again, very well. I worked with him when I was the leader of a city council. He was a minister in, in that particular government department that deals with councils. So I'm looking forward to working with Suella and Brandon very closely to address some of the issues I've just mentioned and um, hoping I can make a difference for, for the people that I represent and, and the country yeah i think there definitely is a difference to be made but um hopefully we can make that difference quite soon i hope so so this is a new question for all of our guests this series and that is if you had to describe yourself in three words say only three what do you think they would be i will give a brief warning i've said this before it sounds easy but it isn't three words okay here we go um, compassionate. Okay. Determined. Okay. And a hyphenated work. Hard working. <laughs> Maybe slightly for. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a great place to end off. I really have enjoyed ch chatting with you today, Donna. Thank you so, so much. And I'm sure everyone listening will now be thinking about some of the choices they're about to make in their own careers. Thank Keep you, listening to the Reach Next Generation podcasts as I talk to many more brilliant women. And more details about us and our summits are at www.reachnextgeneration.com. And a big thank you to all our partners and sponsors, Ideal Standard, Barclays, St Modwen, Green King and Levi Strauss.